Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. So now we combine all this disparate data, the impact of kids on fatherlessness, uh, the impact of friendship, the impact of influence, isolation, loneliness, and then we hit that end game, which is, is he going to keep living? Do you feel like you're stuck in a rut in life or in a dead-end job with no progression? I'm Jerry Dugan, and welcome to Beyond the Rut, the podcast that offers you the motivation, inspiration, and practical tools to help you build a life worth living. My show is here to help you break free from your limitations and find a path to success. Join me as I share encouraging stories and actionable advice on how to get out of your rut in life and create a vision for your future. Life is just too short to live stuck in a rut. Here we go. Hey, Rudder Nation. How are you doing today? I'm excited to let you know that we've got a special guest, Jay Twining. He's the host of a YouTube show called Feel Good Fatherhood. So what are we going to be talking about as this episode is airing just a few weeks before Father, uh, Father's Day? We're going to be talking about fatherhood. We're going to talk about Jay's story, his aha moment that he needed to bring more of himself, his genuine, authentic, vulnerable self to his family to be the best father his children need, his child needs. And we're going to talk about something called mimetic traps. What? Mimetic traps. So what are they? How do they help us or hurt us and keep us stuck in a rut? Because if you're aware of these traps that are stuck in your mindset, your behaviors, the thought processes, all those things, you know what's working for you and you'll have a better idea of what's not and make that conscious effort to make a change in your life. Because the show is all about getting unstuck from your ruts to create a life worth living in your faith, family, and career. So grab a notebook, grab a pen, sit back, relax, and here we go. All right. Hey, Jay, thanks for joining me on this call. How are you doing? Jerry, I'm doing really good. I've got a lot going on. <laughs> it was so funny when we recorded this, I was in my at-home studio for the Phil Farhead show and uh, I was booking and scheduling. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, May the 6th, right after uh, May the 4th with you when we're recording, everything's going to be great. And uh, since that time, we've sold our house. I'm in temp housing. I'm traveling to the new location, looking at new housing and um, definitely have some opinions about how to uh, maintain momentum and how to not get stuck. So um, <laughs> let the, is that the, the, share that. And thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure, Jay. And, you know, I guess, you know, podcasting gets so easy at a point. We just got to throw in some curveballs like sell a house, live in, you know, transitional housing and, and shop for a house while we're at it. Uh, and, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, guys. That's not a good, uh, a good piece of normal advice. Uh, if you're like taking notes on how to do a podcast from us, this is what we've got. We're rolling with it. It is going to be great. Um, and I love that you, you took on the, the show must go on, uh, I guess attitude with this. You know, it's like, you know what? It's going to be a while before we get resettled. Let's do this. And, you know, we can always have you back on. So it's like, uh, I love that. You know, and, and I appreciate you making the time on a Saturday morning, too, because that's when I do my batch recording is on Saturday mornings, uh, the first Saturday of the month. And uh, some folks even ask me about that. I'm like, yeah, uh, when I scheduled that for 2023, I thought I was going back into corporate America. 
And then I realized, oh, no, I, <laughs> I did not. But I still held on to this archaic. Well, to me, it's archaic. Uh, first Saturday of the month, I, I'm doing this. And I might. my wife said, you know, it might be a good idea to keep it anyway, because, you know, that, that frees me up to do like the money generating stuff Monday through Friday. And, you know, my podcast is probably one of the one of the key elements, I think, to um, on the topic of our show, right, of getting out of the rut of uh, maintaining the momentum is that habit, that routine. And so I completely agree. I would absolutely keep it. Uh, This has been, you know, we're in the 300s here. So it's been a a really long time. You had that discipline. You've been executing for, for so long. And so now it's a part of your life. And one of the things that happens um, and that I definitely want to talk about today is when your routine is disrupted, in my case, moving, losing the physical space, losing that pattern and pattern, it becomes even harder uh, because the uh, it's it's really habit stacking, but in inverse. So rather than building positive habits one on top of the other and maintaining momentum and growing and continuing to operate at you know um, uh, maximum efficiency, it, it goes backwards. So yeah. It's like, ah, oh, where's my stuff? Or where's that thing that I do? <laughs> or how's the pattern? You know, like, where's my little lucky token? That kind of stuff just to do some push-ups. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like uh, you, you've blown everything up. So, you know, all the things that are in place for you to, uh, you know, trigger the next habit or the next behavior isn't in its usual spot because you're not in your usual spot. And that makes total sense. I I read The Power of Habit uh, earlier this year and it's like, oh, that's how I get past a lot of things or get a lot of things done. It's like my wallet's always in the same spot. My keys are always in the same spot. And if you want to lose me for about an hour, move my wallet. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, and you know, and as much as I'd love to blame anybody else in the home, which is now just a jerkish thing to do because it's just my wife and I, our kids have grown up and moved out um, every single time, not, you know, once in a, you know, once in a while, every single time it's because I put my wallet in a different place. I put my keys down in a bedroom as opposed to on its hook. Um, so I understand routines big. I know I'm, I'm already like having squirrel moments here. My, my spirit animal is uh, Doug from Up. Uh, is he like, you're my best friend. Ooh, squirrel. <laughs> That's, that is me. Uh, so you're the host of Feel Good Fatherhood. There we go. I'm landing it back. I'm back, guys. Everybody, I'm back. Uh, so Jay, you're the, the host of Feel Good Fatherhood. You, you had me on as a guest and I was very honored and, and I shared that episode with my email list subscribers and, and I'm getting it out there on my social media. Uh, and we talked about my journey into fatherhood and the routines that I put into place, uh, to help me be the best father I could be to my children. Um, and and before we dive into this topic of routines, especially in fatherhood, you know, why is fatherhood such an important topic for us to discuss, especially today? You know, I, I think my story is not unique in in the world today. Uh, it, you know, when we think about the divorce rates being sixty percent, people have serial divorces. I think more of us come from a a fractured home. I know there's a, a more specific term, but I like to call it a fractured home. And so this is when. As a child, we have um, a creative set of parents. And so that can be any permutation that's not the two biologicals in the house under the same roof in constant contact. And so for me, it was, um, it became really important to me and also very related to the overall discussion we're going to have here about ruts and, and negative spirals and stuff like that. The last time I saw my father, my biological father, before my daughter was born, I was in high school. Oh, wow. And so it was about 10 to 15 years. 
since we had communicated in any way, shape, or form. And so when my daughter was born, I had this crazy urge to just kind of reach out. And it was weird because like in my head, it was this, let him know the bloodline's continuing. It was this really awkward set of emotions and things that were going through me about the legacy and the family and stuff like that, that I hadn't really considered up until that point. And then in that same year, a whole bunch of things happened. So, and this is crazy. My daughter was born. We ended up moving across the country. So we were in Providence, Rhode Island to San Diego, California. So there was that disruption of the social group and stuff like that. Was looking for my father. Uh, he died. He passed that mm. year. And then, um, and then I realized one day as I was going through my routine, because this is all a sad story, because I was also, I, I used to make video games. And so I was working at my dream studio, uh, Sony Online Entertainment. Uh, I had always wanted to work on EverQuest. I was working on EverQuest, uh, not the original, but actually the unreleased EverQuest next title. Um, it was a dream come true with some great folks. And I left my house at a regular time. So if you know anything about the industry, you know that crunch is everywhere. I left my house at a regular time. My daughter was not yet awake. I had a regular eight and a half, nine hour day, came back home. My daughter was already asleep. We were in a condo and I walked upstairs. I woke her up so that I could hold her and sing her a lullaby and put her back to bed. And then when I went down, set downstairs, I had an internal, there was this internal um, dysfunction. There was this disjointed emotion where my life up to that point, I think had consciously been about accomplishing that dream, living what I had, living what I had always wanted to do since I was a child. And then when I hit that couch, I knew, oh no, this is not what I want to do anymore. And so you can imagine this swirl of emotions up my head of my biological father, who I was estranged from had passed and I was negotiating that whole thing, completely uprooted, moving across the country, different time zone from the family. Um, not that to sit, like, I'm sure like for the military folks listening, like you're like, yeah, that happens. But for, you know, for, for me in this world, I was like, okay, that was a bit weird. Uh, my parents were actually in Asia, in Singapore working. So like my whole side of the support unit, um, cause your parents are actually very important in the overall high, high level family structure. Uh, we were out completely away from my wife's family because all of her family was located basically in New York, New York state. And so it was just this crazy isolation and um, evaluating, number one, who am I and what I want to do in the world, which is incredibly common for men today. Uh, we're at a purpose epidemic. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, but then also, what was my experience with father? So who was my biological father to me? What was that experience? Who was my stepfather to me? Who was my father-in-law to me? And then knowing, because uh, I have a younger sister, knowing my relationship and how that showed up for me and what it, how I interpreted all that kind of stuff, because there's a lot of ownership in how we interpret our past. What did I want for my family? And what did I want for my wife? What did I want for my daughter? And what did I want for everything moving forward? So... Where I ended up gravitating towards was, okay, the biggest gap for me was the relationship with my biological father. And so, and I said, all right, well, there's been a 15 year gap. This, I have this hole that, um, it kind of exists. It just never really goes away. And that was more of a hole of a, there was a being who was important to my life, like in, in the idea of being alive that I had no relationship with. They can't be, it's not able to be filled by anything or anyone. And then, what did I want for my daughter? And so 
it's just kind of it's started this cycle of learning what is fatherhood, what does it actually mean, uh, what's the role. You know, this is like 2010, 2012 time. So if you're thinking about the cultural zeitgeist in the moment, like what's happening with the world, like with the whole masculinity, fatherhood, men thing was kind of starting and all the, all this stuff was going on. And I realized, you know what, this is the role I want to adopt. And, uh, and so many years later, feel good fatherhood is the summation of, I think the great parts of my life of personal development and working with kids, uh, being a language teacher, uh, working with couples and men and sort of imparting that to uh, increasing the scope and scale of that so that this message this idea that we know um that you can make a choice about things yeah stay with us we'll be right back and now let's talk about how you can use cap show to repurpose and market your content if you have a business like me you can upload your cornerstone long-form content like podcast episodes or youtube videos into CapShow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. CapShow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash CapShow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, Back to the show. Now, have you come across any like statistics that show the the impact, the benefit of having a positive father figure in the home versus not having one? So there's a um, yeah acts. So here's some here's some nuts statistics. Um, you look at all um, child suicide caliber, which nobody wants to talk about, but it's a number that we have to consider. Uh, that's in the 10,000 to 20,000 per year. Um, food insecurity, which means having one or fewer meals per day, graduation weights from high school, college rates, and lifetime earnings. All of it, it's an exponential curve in a fatherless household. It's yeah. all of it, period, across the board. Uh, we're talking factors of 2x increase rates to 4x increase rates. It's like a 4x increase for homelessness for a teenager. Wow. It's, um, it's a, like a two X increase rate for suicide. Um, when I think about serving fathers, like really, when I think about serving fathers and when I really think about this data, um, I think about serving men in this capacity, part of it is whenever we're picking an audience, whenever we're picking somebody to help, there's a knock on effect, a positive ripple effect, not only to that person's fulfillment and purpose in life, but their family to their community and to everybody at large. Uh, I'm very motivated in this work because the child has no agency into the family in which they're born. And I think if I, if I, I take and I hold that because what I see is something relatively straightforward, relatively easy to do, um, relatively, it takes a lot to fix relationships and do that kind of stuff. When I think about the effort that can happen when men show up as complete healthy individuals in a fatherhood role, the knock-on effect uh, just for that individual, just for the father uh, is huge. Here's some, here's some data. A Gallup poll, 1990s, talked about men and women identifying as father or mother. 1990s, you know, 10 or 20%, the role is important. 
around the same percentage fulfilled my father, 10 to 20%. Uh, late teens, 20, so 2016, 2018, uh, resurveyed again. So get this, get this increase. It's something like, I think it's 49, uh, between 47 and 49, I don't remember the exact number, percent of men that get fulfillment from the role of fatherhood. That's a 4x increase in 20 to 30 years. So what is that telling me? That's telling me that number one, that, um, sorry, and let's, let's take this step back. Fulfillment. This means that these individuals are, are deriving pleasure and joy and contentment from this role, from showing up for their kids, from showing up in the house. So, uh, you know, we've been going through decades of this message of men don't belong in the home, go be the protective, only, only the protective provider, protective provider is still important, but only the protective provider. Um, and then what we're seeing is that men are just saying, nope, I'm actually quite satisfied with this role. I want to spend time with my kids. I get a lot of fulfillment and purpose out of it. Uh, what else? Uh, let's see. That that one really blew my mind as far as the the individual stepping up and, and enjoying this role. Final piece of data, not directly related, but we're talking about friendships. When you become a father and you adopt that role and you get integrated into the family and the community in the way that Feel Good Fatherhood is set up, so you fix yourself, you do your self-improvement work, whatever that happens to look like. I have some ideas. You've got some ideas. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. You work on the spousal relationship, making sure that works. That's the longest term relationship you're going to have um, in your life uh, next to your siblings, if you have them. Then you work on the family. And then from the family, um, you can expand out. That can be getting involved in the school, get involved in your work, all this other kind of stuff that's just healthy, normal functioning. Uh, the first thing that I always say is like, you do you and whatever, whatever the level of engagement that you, you can do in your life, you can do that. But here's the crazy, here's the crazy data, because as you work on these different pieces and as you take on progressively larger circles of influence, uh, what ends up happening is, uh, the concept of friendship changes. So in 1990, um, according to the American perspective surveys in 2021, that was the second data point Gallup in 1990, uh, what I really want to look at here is one or fewer close friends. A close friend is directly defined as the person that you can call up in the middle of the night when you have when something's wrong and they'll help you. So that's that's it. Like that's how we'll define that. In 1990s, it was about eight percent. So we'll say eight to nine percent. So we'll say 15 percent had one or fewer friends in 1990. Today, that's 20 percent. So it's it's increasing. What's important here? is that on the latter half, 40% had 10 or more close friends that they could count on in 1990. Today, it's 15%. That's more than a 2x decrease. So at the same at the same time where we have this crazy ability as men and fathers to break generational patterns, set our path and trajectory forward in the way that we're choosing, increase the prosperity of ourselves, our spouses, and our kids, we can positively impact everybody around us. At the same time, individuals are becoming more and more isolated from each other and directly from this idea of this close friendship. Feel Good Fatherhood is, whole purpose of it is to inverse that. Bring this idea, this acceptance of um, this idea of getting rid of the Marlboro Man. I, I think of when I think of if there was an enemy, I don't like having enemies that creates tribalism. I don't like it. Uh, but I think of for a long time, as an 80s kids, right? Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I absolutely adore, um, 
commando, right? So that was his role as the father saving his daughter from his old squad, right? Commando. Uh, Quippy, rather than, what do we actually want men to do? Well, we actually, uh, so check this one out. Uh, You are more attractive as a potential mate if you can de-escalate a situation than if you go in and act with violence, right? Oh, yeah. I told, and I, and I completely understand that it's an action movie and I get that. <laughs> but I, I, I totally get yeah, that. I've impressed and zero women trying to be the tough guy <laughs> in my <exactly>. whole life. <laughs> exactly. Um, the things that, the thing that's attractive is number one is, are you willing to de-escalate? But number two, the thing that's actually more attractive is that you're willing to make the effort and stand in between. And that actually goes both ways. So is she willing to come up next to you? Um, in that relationship and support you in a confrontation? And then are you willing to come up and support her in a confrontation? So that just the act of it, whether it's a winner or a lose, um, it does have an impact. Like winning has the most impact and winning can look at either like actually winning a fight or de-escalating. Um, and then losing, losing, stepping up and losing is still more attractive than not stepping up. So uh, even though it's a little bit less in any, yeah. in any case, not, not as important. So we, we take all this crazy data and then on top of it, here's, and here's the other reason, right? Men are 3.5 times more likely to die from suicide than women. So when we, when we combine all of this at the end game and uh, you and I talked about Christianity, you know, I, I personally believe that, um, it's one of the, one of the worst things you can do is end end life or like end somebody else's life or end your own life. Because as God gave us free will, you 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 stop being able to exercise your free will in your worship or purpose in life. And so it's kind of like it's this terrible end state. The Catholic Church has a heck of a lot to say about it. I'm not Catholic, but it certainly does. Um, so when we're talking about, so now we combine everything. So now we combine all this disparate data, the impact of kids on fatherlessness, uh, the impact of friendship, the impact of influence, isolation, loneliness. And then we hit that end game, which is, is he going to keep living? Is he going to keep having that opportunity to keep going? Is he going to have that opportunity to improve himself? Is he going to have the opportunity to impact positively those around him and those he cares about and and grow to become the person, uh, the best self, the best self I'm defining is activated with purpose, activated with fulfillment, activated full of all the positive emotions managing and, uh, and full of all that negative emotions at the same time, but just being able to have emotional maturity in some capacity, make your kids laugh, have a good time, live a good life. Uh, that's it. Yeah. That's the purpose. Man, I love that. And you've touched on so much in just the past few minutes. And and some of the things that stood out to me that you've you've brought back to the forefront of my memory is uh, I'll start with a, a Christian marriage retreat my wife and I had gone on. It's called The Weekend to Remember. Uh, we'd gone. I, th- I lost track how many times. We loved it so much that we became volunteers at the local level. Uh, but the point I'm making is like through most of the weekend, we are side by side learning these lessons, talking to each other, you know, sharing our own stories we hadn't shared before, uh, sharing things that we had shared before but hadn't said in a long time. And then on the last day, they split us up. All the wives and, uh, you know, women are in one room. All the men are in another conference room. And the the tone shifted. And, and you would think that it would be like this rah-rah, pseudo-alpha male type of, you know, manly men now. It's just the men together. And 
again, I've gone to multiple of these conferences and it was always consistent that the, the man leading that discussion in that conference room took on the, the, the role of like the tender guide, you know, and, and talking more about masculinity from the perception of, you know, well, Jesus, you know, you know, this tender leader, this, this person who saw, um, and led with love, led with service. And the thing that stood out to me the most was, these speakers would take us through this exercise of remembering our own fathers. And it's very quiet. We're reflecting. We're writing in our book. Uh, what comes to mind? What memories come to mind when you think of your father? And, and for me, I'm writing down things like my dad give me the last $20 in his pocket so I could go pay the fee to play high school football. And that was it. Like that was the last of his cash until payday. And I knew it. And, uh, you know, the, that's the kind of thing I remember of my dad, that sacrificial love, you know, the, the I'm willing to drive an hour to work at a job I hate to put food on the table, uh, that guy. And so I wrote those kinds of memories down. And then after you've had that time to reflect, uh, the leader would ask this question of, great, just shout out that one word that comes to mind uh, when you think of your father and the memory of. And I remember saying, you know, gentle. And somebody else had said loving. Another one said strong. Another one said provider. And then you hear this very painful, deep, tough voice say, and you can tell the voice is a little broken. And he shouts out pain. And everybody's just like, oh, wow. And then the next guy says absent. And the next, and, and these guys are saying it with such pain and brokenness. And I'm like ready to weep right there. Like, wow, I was blessed to have the father I had, even though my parents split when I was 11, I stayed with my dad. I lived with my dad. He, he, you know, basically carried the torch, made sure I, you know, lived to adulthood basically and provided very loving, you know, the best loving home he could with what he knew. Um, but to hear all these other men talk about that brokenness and then that, that leader brings it back and says, great. Now we've got a choice that we can make as men. We can carry the torch that our fathers handed off to us, or we can decide it's time that we, we burn a new torch. And it was an invitation to the men who had absent fathers, broken homes, painful fatherhood experiences. It was their invitation to extinguish that old torch, start a new torch. And, um, it kind of brings me back to the, you know, we, we talk about routine. We've talked about knowing your past so that you can propel into your future. Uh, and then there's this phrase that you, you shared with me called mimetic traps. And I feel like this is like the perfect time to start talking about that. Like what are mimetic traps? How do we avoid, how do we recognize them for one? And then what do we do about those? Absolutely love it. And, and I'm, I'm so happy that we got here because it's such a natural extension of it. A mimetic trap is, uh, I talked about circles of influence and I provided that illustration for the listeners of there's you, how you're doing things, there's the spousal relationship, there's your kids, what I call your immediate family, extended community, and it kind of goes out into the universe, right? And so if you think of progressively larger and larger rings, kind of like as a target and you at the center. A mimetic trap is in any world where you are pressured by a external ring from yourself. And this can be from anywhere, from a spousal relationship, which is the, which is the next, the next ring for fatherhood, anywhere else to, to the universe. So the universe is extending and you are unconsciously playing a game where you, you can be winning or losing, but you have no agency in it. You haven't consciously made the choice. 
mimetic maps, um, mimetic traps can be positive in telling, say, uh, let's see, what's a really great example? It's not good to kill people. It's not good to commit murder. That's a great mimetic trap, right? So it's just this core idea of there is a standard of behavior and it's just accepted and you unconsciously obey this standard of behavior. Where it shows up poorly is when you have pressure. And this is where it commonly shows. You have pressure from your parents to go and do and be a certain thing. I love Hassan Minaj. He has a great joke about this. He was like, being an Indian kid was fantastic because we were always told you can be anything you want in life as long as an engineer, doctor, or lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a momentic trap. And that's like, that is the the quintessential example of that. So how can this show up? Are you in school? Are you in your bachelor's? Like say you're going for your four-year degree. Are you pursuing the field of study that fills you up and makes you excited? Or are you doing something that, are you pursuing a a course set of course because of some romantic interest? Are you uh, doing a a course because your parents said you want to do something? And uh, it could show up as FOMO. It could show up as competing with the Joneses. The idea that, oh, uh, you know, Bob, you know, Bob or Isaiah down the street bought the new car. I need to go buy the car. I'm at a trap, whole thing. And so, um, and this influence is consistently there. And the reason why it's, I, I paint this picture from that rings is because that's what I call the path to failure. The path to failure, the path to resentment, the path to isolation, the path to real and true loss is when you lack any sort of identity from yourself that you've consciously made and you are fully directed by everything else that's around you. And it's, it's a it's a razor thin edge between conscious choice of accepting pressure and doing it versus being influenced from the outside because it always is a choice it's always a perspective and you can choose it so um why was it important that we we bring this up we're talking about our fathers well when we're young actually let's take a step back when you're a child you are constantly looking at your parents and actually very specifically in this context at your father to answer two questions. Um, and this is all going to be unconscious. If there's no words you can say that are going to communicate this. Um, is this man proud of me? And I think the second one, which is even more critical, does this man like me? Mm. And so in, in, and that is communicated through actions. Uh, but the colloquialism or the idiom is that kids understand L-O-V-E as T-I-M-E. Yes. Yes. So, um, and even beyond that, uh, when we want to bring it to the next level, it's when you're in that time, are you happy? I had uh, my daughter, as is normal, completely normal, doesn't quite have that um, uh, seek, uh, hide uh, with her eyesight. I'm trying to figure out how to express it. Finding things in the home. So we'll lose our remote control. <laughs> we'll lose her homework. We'll lose like lose her shoes and like when she's wearing them, like just crazy stuff like that. <laughs> and I became particularly aware of this because um, in the past, uh, unconsciously, we've been critical of this. How could you not know where the TV remote is? You've been watching TV for the past hour. What's going on? Like just this really not great things to say. Yeah. I fully own that. And then I realized one day we were kind of wrapping up very recently, the past couple of weeks. 
and the remote was gone. And it was like, oh, okay, this was going on. I was, I was kind of recognizing the negative pattern of language I had here. And then I said, oh, do you want some help? Do you want some help? Do you want me to help you do this? And she said, yes. And it's so it was going through and it was like, it was like right next to her kind of thing. And it was like, it was like kind of like right under the, the skirt of the couch, yeah. so to speak. <laughs> and so I did that and I saw it and, and this is what happened. This is the behavior that I saw because I, and I think this is critical that we understand this as fathers. She didn't even care that we found the remote. What she immediately did was look at my face. She was immediately in her mind, she had failed because she had lost a thing mm-hmm. and that has been anchored in her brain. And in the moment that we found it, she wasn't looking, she wasn't delighted that she found the thing. She was looking at my reaction to see whether or not I was going to school her. Was I going to be delighted? Was I going to be happy? And what I, what I tend to do and, you know, comment in the, comment in the, in the show notes or comment on your favorite platform or on social media, let me know what your opinion is. Uh, what I said was, Hey, I'm, I'm so happy that we found it, you know, and, and it's okay. Would you like me to help you to find things? Would you like me to help you build a mental model? She's old enough now. She's turning 11. Would you like me to help you build a practice, a checklist of things to go through when you're looking for things? And under the core idea that like, hey, if I teach her this skill, we can apply that. That's how I do land and expand, right? Teach her a skill, now apply it to everything that's going on. And she said, yes. And so we've been working lately on, okay, so you've lost something. Here's all, here's all the places you're going to look. And I, I, you know, I think of um, that principle, that skill of thoroughness and attention to detail. It's like, this is this right now is the moment where I can teach her thoroughness and attention to detail, huge indicators of success um, in, in the traditional professional capacity. And, um, so I'm like, okay, this is a really great teaching. So, um, what else, what are other things that are romantic traps? So that was a f- familiar example. So, cause now I'm going to speak to more of the young guys. Um, here's the common, here's the common example, uh, not doing locker room talk. The common example is this, is that, uh, young boys like to boast and talk about their accomplishments. I don't yeah. want to take that's a bad thing accomplishments right young boys are trying to figure out how to do hierarchy and all the kind of stuff trying to figure out how they fit trying to figure out who's their buddy everybody's doing it you know but in this context is young boys so locker room talk is um at this crazy age when people are becoming sexual figuring out their sexuality and engaging in something that they think is there and most of that comes from the idea that you know you hear it when you're in middle school or ninth grade and you're hanging out with people that are two, three, and four years more mature, um, and they might be having a different kind of conversation. There's just a world apart. There's a world of difference between somebody that's approaching 18 and somebody that's approaching 14. <clears throat> Tons of things, brain development, uh, body development, the whole deal. Uh, there's an interesting theory that all kids have the same upbringing. All kids have the same ideas, the same stories, the same games they play, all that kind of stuff. And I think it comes from this daisy chain of patterns of conversations. Once you reach a higher, ed, like, you know, if you think of elementary school, usually it's one through sixth grade or one through fifth grade, depending on where you're at. High school is ninth grade through 12th grade. And so you're always hanging out with somebody that's got many more years of experience passing down their habits and behaviors. Yeah. Again, great example of a medic trap. Why are you engaging in, in locker room talk? Why are you doing these patterns of behavior? Why are you doing all this kind of jazz? So, um, 
And at, the, at, at, time, at that time as well, we're asking if we're going to break the mimetic trap, we're asking a teenager to make that chance to not fit in and stand on their, uh, stand by the, on their own, uh, which is not respected. Uh, definitely respected as an adult. Yeah, but not which as is a kid, such so. an odd clash of desires, right? Like teenagers want to stand out. They want to be an individual. They want to find out who they are. And then they're in an environment where all the pressures are be just like everybody else. Otherwise, you're the weirdo. And it's like embrace the weirdo. And it's kind of the same thing for us men. Like uh, I'm thinking, you know, at a time when my daughter made me because she knew I was going to get into backpacking and I wanted a wallet I wouldn't lose. And she was really into like making things out of duct tape. And she got the most neon pink turquoise duct tape she can get her hands on. And she made me a homemade duct tape wallet that I not only used for a few months, I had that thing in my pocket for years until the glue finally like started sticking to everything. And I finally had to like retire the wallet. Um, but men would kind of give me odd looks when I pull that wallet out and they're like purple, pink, turquoise. What is this? I thought you were a combat veteran. I'm like, I am a combat veteran. I'm like, I thought you were like this manly man who does backpacking. I'm like, I, I go backpacking. Yeah. So what's up with the wallet? I'm like, my daughter made it for me and I'm, I'm going to proudly use it. And he, they're like, no, but men don't. I'm like, this one does, you know, I'm that. not defined by this wallet. I'm defined by who I am. And I put that wallet back and my daughter, like she was there and she was about to cry because these guys were like, oh, you don't do things like that to your dad. And, you know, he's got, he's got to be manly. He's got to show he's tough. And, and I just, I just looked at these guys. I'm like, gentlemen, as a combat veteran, I'll tell you, I am tough enough. And this wallet, again, this is something my daughter made, and I will use this for as long as I can. And that's all that matters. And I was like, Emma, don't listen to these guys. I love you. What they think about this wallet doesn't matter. It's what I think about this wallet. And you can see the tears in her eyes and then the smile on her face. I'm like, that's my baby girl. That's the person I will burn the rest of the world down for. But instead, I'm going to live for her. And, you know, but that's that another example of the mimetic trap, I think, is this idea that masculinity is the Marlboro man, is the tough guy who has to have black, green or gray or blue jeans. Like we have a uniform. You know, we got to wear the vet bro shirts and all that stuff and, and drink black coffee. And, and it's like, no, like your measure of your you know, whether or not you're a man is nothing to do with the shirt you wear, the beer you drink, the, the you know. The things you say you're into, whether you are or not, it, it's who you are on the inside. And, and, and I love that that's been the theme you've been bringing up is know who you are. Answer that question, who am I for yourself? Not what other people have told you, but for yourself. And I, I love that so much. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I cut you off there. But, uh, you know, that that is you know, like, guys, if you're stuck in one of these traps, got to answer for yourself. Who are you? You know, who am I and what are your values? What drives you? Uh, we're running out of time. And the the thing that I want folks to know is where can they find feel good fatherhood and, and learn more about this and hear these great conversations with like, I don't know, Jerry Dugan uh, and Aaron Thomas <laughs> and all the other great folks you've had on your show to bring their experiences, their perspectives and their expertise on fatherhood. Where do we find that show? Perfect. You could find feel good fatherhood on YouTube and YouTube music. Uh, it's in the podcast section. I uh, give it a search for Feel Good Fatherhood. It's also YouTube at Feel Good Fatherhood. Uh, soon to be on all the audio platforms under the same name, Feel Good Fatherhood. Remember that the show is this time honored, time honored tradition of getting together and sharing our experiences. And so, really, it's about these gentlemen as fathers talking about either fatherhood or their expertise and bringing it to us in a way that we can model and learn from. 
Um, I've taken a tremendous amount uh, selfishly as the host. I take a tremendous amount of learning from learning from everybody around and, and having my thoughts challenged and kind of pursuing and uh, expanding and shedding these mimetic traps from my life and really reflecting on it. Uh, but that's where you can find me. And please go ahead and uh, you know, like a uh, comment, uh, comment, and then uh, also subscribe to the show. And I really appreciate it because it's cool to do. It is. And leave a review uh, as well. Uh, now, any final words of wisdom for the Rudder Nation folks listening in right now? Absolutely. One of the statements that I always say is continue being awesome. Here's here's how we break that down. Continue. Continue as a word means that you have been this thing in the past. You will continue to be it in the future and you are it in the present. Being is that essence of who you are. Uh, what are your values? What are the routines that you engage in? What do you care about? And how do you show up in the world? And then awesome, not as the cool 90s bro colloquial term that we use now, but awesome is an awe-inspiring. That each and every one of us has this capability to be truly amazing and to do truly uh, incredible things. We could surprise and delight ourselves and everybody else around you. And so continue being awesome. I love that. Jay, it was great to have you on this show, and uh, I look forward to having you on again and just dig a little bit deeper on this fatherhood story and just keep inspiring guys to do their best. I mean, we got this one chance. Well, I mean, depending on how many kids you got, but uh, you know, we got one life anyway to make an impact in the lives of our kids, our grandkids, and then see the impact that has on our great-grandchildren, hopefully. Uh, so thank you for coming on here. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the Rep team. Hey, I hope you found a lot of value in that conversation with Jay. I know I did. I had a great time reconnecting with him. And if I, if it wasn't for a batch recording day, I would have kept talking to that guy into the afternoon until our wife said, hey, we got things to do. Can you guys wrap this up? So if you want to learn more about Jay's work with um, Feel Good Fatherhood, or you want to learn more about his work as a brand consultant, then check out the show notes, beyondtherut.com slash 366. There you'll find links to the resources that Jay provides, as well as related content to the topic we covered today. And I'll even throw in some information about where you can find my book, Beyond the Rut, create a life worth living in your faith, family, and career. It's available on Amazon as an ebook, a paperback, and it's on Audible. But if you get either of the print versions of the book, I give away the audiobook for free. So a little tidbit there for you. Now, I'm glad you joined me for this episode, and I look forward to joining you again on the next episode. But until next time, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Capshovian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash Capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Capshow team today and join me inside that community.